That's important to realize. You can put anything on the wall, but really God wants to write it on our hearts. And I think what happens is, is when our culture had it on the wall, everybody expected that it was in everyone's heart. And that was the problem. Because we had it on the wall, it didn't make it into our hearts and it needs to be in our hearts. God wants to write his word on our hearts and that's what the finished work of Jesus is all about. To take the heart of God and write it on our hearts and shape our hearts so that we would interact with God in such a way that God is like, this is the type of relationship that I want to have with people. The Ten Commandments are important to learn and to live out in our lives. These commandments are not meant to save us. Only Jesus can do that. However, Pastor Daniel reminds us today that it's still a good idea to know how Jesus wants us to live. And we can know this by studying the Ten Commandments. We can post the words around the walls of our lives, but we need to also study them and make them a part of our walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, The Big Ten. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. As we continue our study here through the book of Deuteronomy in this series that we're calling Refresh. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, what's amazing about tonight's message, the message that I want to share with you right now, is that even people who don't know anything about the Bible, they actually know this text. And the reason people know it is because we're going to be doing a refresher on what is commonly known as the Ten Commandments, which is, at the very least, the most basic statement and comprehensive statement of the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. You have to realize that all of these laws, it's not like God just came in and conquered this people and said, now I'm going to show you how you're supposed to live. There was a covenant relationship that was made between God and between these people. And God is literally saying to them, this is the terms of this covenant. This is what's important. Now, if you think about it, every relationship, in a sense, is a covenant. There are certain expectations that people have within a relationship, like things like you're going to be nice, right? I think at the very least, when you're in a relationship with someone, you would hope that they would be nice, right? That they would be truthful, that they would be honest, that they wouldn't steal the last Twinkie, or whatever it is. It's like in a relationship, there's an expectation that this is the way the relationship will work. And the Ten Commandments functions in that way. God is saying, look, for us to have this relationship based on a covenant that I've made with you, this is the expectation, and this is what is required. And these Ten Commandments has become the foundation not only of Judaism, but of Christianity. And it was also the foundation of the founding of America as a nation in regards to our justice system. That's why for a long time there was Ten Commandments at a lot of courthouses. There isn't any more. Some people think that that's a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, whatever you put on a sign is what you put on a sign. You can put something on a sign, it's not in your heart. So they're removing the signs because they had already removed it from the heart of our culture. Now, for me, you might say, well, Fusco, do you think that it should be back in the courthouses? The answer is no, I want it in the hearts of people. Who cares what's on the wall? 
And I think that's important to realize. You can put anything on the wall, but really God wants to write it on our hearts. And I think what happens is, is when our culture had it on the wall, everybody expected that it was in everyone's heart. And that was the problem. Because we had it on the wall, it didn't make it into our hearts and it needs to be in our hearts. God wants to write his word on our hearts and that's what the finished work of Jesus is all about. To take the heart of God and write it on our hearts and shape our hearts so that we would interact with God in such a way that God is like, this is the type of relationship that I want to have with people. And the Ten Commandments is comprehensive and the most basic form of it. And so really, everything we've seen before this study has been a type of historical prologue to now what becomes why it's called Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. It begins with the Ten Commandments, and then we begin to unpack all the different commandments. Now, I'm under no illusions that I'm going to make it all the way through chapter 5 today. And I know that you weren't either when you came in. You didn't think there was any way I was going to take the whole chapter. But we're going to try. So we'll see how far we go. So jump on in. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says this. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up the mountain. And then it says, he said, and then they begin. Now, what's awesome about this is you'll notice there's all of these verbs in verse one, right? It says, he called all Israel and he said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgment which I speak in your hearing today that you may learn them and you be careful to observe them. So what he's saying is that I'm gonna share with you the statutes and judgments of God, and you need to hear them, you need to learn them, and you need to be careful to observe them. So this needs to be something that the children of Israel aren't, they're hearing it, but they're also observing it. They're putting it into practice. And I think it's important for us as we study the word together, as you read the Bible in your own time, that you pull out those action steps. Somebody reminded me that we used to do those. I used to make you write down three takeaways for you. And that's an important thing to, you don't just want to have another Bible study where you have Bible information rattling around in your head. You want to say, Lord, I want your word to make the almost impossible 18 inch journey from our heads to our hearts. And then the journey from our hearts out to our hands and our feet, into our mouth, our eyes, the whole thing. And so we really want God's word to be something that we incorporate and integrate into our lives. And that was definitely the case for the children of Israel. He's saying, hear, O Israel, the statutes, and I want you to learn them, and I want you to be careful to observe them. Now, don't miss that word here. That's the word Shema, which we're going to get again in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that great hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. When God's word says here, it means listen up. It means listen, perk those ears up. God wants to speak to you. And I believe just as Moses was speaking to the generation that was going to the promised land, God wants us to hear today. He wants our ears to perk up. And maybe we've heard the Ten Commandments. Like, man, I had those things memorized a long time ago. But 
let God let us hear it with virgin ears for the very first time, what it would mean for us the first time that we're hearing this and let it hit our hearts and say, God, I want not only to hear it, but I want to learn it and I want to observe it. Now in verse two, we're reminded that the Lord, our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. So this is the retelling of what happened at Horeb or Mount Sinai, which you get all the way back in the book of Exodus chapters 19, 20 and following. Notice it says in verse three, the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us who are here today, all of us who are alive. Now that's an interesting concept that pops out, that now there is a change in the covenant relationship. Now, I don't want to bore you with theology. So for some of you who are new to the Bible, this is a good, I'm going to give you like a little overview. For those of you who've been reading the Bible for a while, you've probably noticed this, but there's a number of covenants that get made between God and people, right? You have the covenant that God made with Adam. There's a covenant that God made with Noah. There's a covenant that God made with Abraham. Now we have a covenant that God is making with Moses. And then by the time you get to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah starts talking about a new covenant, which is the covenant of grace that is in Jesus. And so really what happens in each of these covenants is God is explaining to the people, this is how I want you to relate with me. And in with Moses, they call this the Mosaic covenant or the Sinaitic covenant, whether you base it on Moses or Mount Sinai where it was given. And this is the covenant where we get the whole telling of God's law, right? And Moses saying, look, It was different for Abraham. It was different for Isaac. It was different for Jacob. It was different for the 12 patriarchs and their descendants. This is the covenant that God has given for us. And really what it speaks about is a unique way that God is relating with the people. Now, when you start talking about the different covenants, then there's a whole, if you're into theology, what you realize is that there's all sorts of schemes of theological understanding based on these covenants. One's called covenant theology. There's one called dispensational theology. And there's a lot of other ones that are not as popular as those two, but with all these different nuances. Here's what you need to realize. God has always related to people the exact same way. And that is based on his grace apart from works. That's what you have to realize. God's plan of salvation has always been for God to send the Messiah to stand in the place of people who have failed. It's always been about Jesus. So I say that because no Jewish person ever gets saved by keeping the law. Nobody does. They get saved by God's grace apart from works. The apostle Paul's a great example of that. So people have a tendency to think, oh, well, if Abraham lived up to the covenant, then he was accepted into heaven. And if Noah did, and he was accepted by God. And if Abraham did, he was accepted. And if people who keep the law, they're accepted by God. And people who do it in Jesus, then they're accepted by God. No, it's always been by God's grace, but The way, the framework in which they lived to understand that they needed salvation was different. So Adam had one set of parameters that showed him his need for salvation. Noah had another set of parameters. In it, he learned, I need God to be merciful and gracious to me. Same thing for Abraham. And now, as we're hearing the retelling of the Mosaic Covenant, What you learn is that this is the framework in which the children of Israel are going to realize that God is holy and that they are to aspire to holiness, but they all fall short and that God will send a savior. Does that make sense? So even though this is a new covenant or depending on what language you like, the dispensation that God is functioning with people, no Jewish person got saved by keeping the law. You know why? Because nobody keeps the whole law. If you don't believe me, read the book of Galatians. 
That's why that was written in there. Nobody keeps the whole law. But this covenant is now the framework through which the people learn that they are sinners in need of a savior. Now, let me give you... Did I lose everybody? A little bit. Okay. I'm going to break it down to like your life, how this works. Some of you are single. Some of you here are married. Some of you here are single again. Some of you here are widowed, right? Some of you have children. Some of you were never able to have children. Some of you are like, I don't want to have children. Some of you are raising grandchildren, right? Each one of those dispensations of life, parts of life that you're in, creates a context through which you experience God's goodness and your failings and the awareness that you need God's grace. For married people, you're learning what a sinner you are because you're married. You single people, you're learning how much you struggle because you're single, right? If you're a parent, you realize how challenging it could be to be a parent. And if you're not a parent, you're realizing how challenging it is because you want to be a parent. You know, so in each situation of life that you find yourself, it creates the context that we realize who God is and who we are. Now, I know sometimes people will say, well, you know, when you get to church, they start talking about that we're sinners. Like, I really don't like that part. Now, I don't blame you. I don't like it either, but it's still true. What it means is that none of us always gets it right. And I think that's a universal human condition, right? Nobody ever gets it always right. And in whatever dispensation of life, whatever the circumstances and details you find yourself in, what God wants us to do is embrace what's in front of us and say, God, with what's in front of me, I want you to shape me and mold me and grow me up. And I think that in each one of our lives, that's exactly what God is doing right now. Now, what happens for most of us is we resist it a lot, right? We're like, I don't want to grow in this way. I want another set of circumstances. If my circumstances were different, then everything would be different. But then the circumstances are different. But guess what? It's the same old story, right? Because God wants us to grow up. And so what I'm saying is I'm not saying don't pray away the circumstances that you find yourself in. Sure, if you want different circumstances, ask God for it. But say, but God, while this is here, I want to grow deeper in my relationship and understanding of you. I want to know you more. I want you to make me more and more like Jesus. See, for the children of Israel, they're getting all of these laws and all these things that they have to do, which is now creating a new context for them to realize that God is perfect and they are imperfect. They have a whole sacrificial system that always shows them you've fallen short here. And so this is the penalty. You fall short here. This is the penalty. So that they would realize, I need God's grace. And they would look forward to God's provision of grace that would be in the person and work of Jesus, the Messiah. Does that make sense? So if you want to have fun, look at all the covenants. It's Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and then the new covenant. I think I got all of them in there. And, you know, and you can look at it from those things and say, how is God asking people to live? But in no way do I want you to think that Jewish people got saved by keeping the law because nobody can keep the law except for Jesus, who was the Messiah. Everybody fails at the law. Abraham did not get in based on the covenant that God gave him. Abraham got in by sheer grace and he believed that God would provide a savior for him. And so in each place, it creates the context for us to see our need. And for the children of Israel, this is very unique. Now, it also says here in verse four, that the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time, verse five, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. Now, obviously this phrase that the Lord talked with you face to face runs into some Bible dilemmas because it 
in the New Testament says, no one has seen God at any time. And now it's saying, the Lord talked with you face to face. Now, let me explain to you how this all works. Because I'm going to say, oh, this is how I know the Bible's wrong. It says, the Lord talked to you face to face. It says, no one's seen God at every time. It can't both be right. The phrase in Hebrew, seeing and talking to someone face to face, is literally a Hebraism which speaks of an immediacy of relationship. It speaks of intimate and free-flowing communication, right? So when you think of talking to someone face to face, when you're sitting there, or now we would say maybe face to face via FaceTime or whatever, you know what I mean? There's a free flow of information, but it's not saying that they saw God's face. It's using a phrase that says God spoke to them in a very free and personal way. So when it says that no one has seen God at any time, that's also true. The only person who's seen God at any time was the Lord Jesus himself in glory beforehand, and he brought it out to us. Remember, Moses wanted to see the Lord's glory, and what did he say? He said, no, I'll show you my hind parts. You know, he showed him his backside glory, God's booty glory, if I could be so bold. (laughs) Hey, I didn't write it, okay? I'm just telling you what it says. But the Lord's like, look, I I can just show you this one part. You can handle that, yes. My glorious Maximus or something. (laughs) Anyway, now don't get, I'm just playing. I know I'm on the edge. I know I'm on the edge. I'm just playing, but I don't think it's an improper interpretation or way to express what was going on there. So, so do you, do you get this? what it's saying is that God is saying, look, I spoke to you in such a personal way that everybody heard. And then Moses says, listen, but don't miss the fact that none of you guys came upon the mountain and I stood between the Lord and you because you were scared because as God was speaking, there was fire and all these things, these natural expressions of God's presence there. And so we also see Moses as the mediator. And Moses was a picture or a type of Jesus who is the one mediator between God and man. Moses functioned as a mediator of God's covenant to the children of Israel. And he functions as a forerunner for Jesus. So when you watch Moses, you learn that a mediator stands in the gap between God and a group of people. Ultimately, that's Jesus's function. Now, at the same time, For you and I as followers of Jesus, we do have a mediatorial function in the world because God said that we're a kingdom, we're kings and priests. And so what that means is that each one of us has a role to represent God to the world and represent the world to God in prayer. Does that make sense? See, our job as Christians, it's called being a witness. In the Greek, it's the word martyr. Literally, that's where the word martyr comes from. It means to be a witness. Our job as followers of Jesus is to declare to the world who Jesus is. And we need to do a good job of that because in case you haven't noticed, Christianity doesn't have a great reputation in our day and age. Like we have this thing that's about Starbucks and their Christmas cups. It's like, it's just a place you get a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like, who cares what's on? It's about what's in the cup. Actually, it's about all the money you lost getting the cup. But that's a whole other discussion. I like coffee as much as the next person. But, you know, it's like it don't matter what some company puts on their cups. It's like, who are we as the people of God? And do we shine the light of Jesus into every situation? I think complaining about cups is a little tacky for the body of Christ. You know what I mean? Personally. We got much bigger fish to fry than the design on the Starbucks cup. We got to love our enemies. We got to pray for people. We got to share the gospel. We got to roll up our sleeves and serve people. 
There's people starving in our own community and people are complaining about the design on the cup. It's not a good representation of the heart of God into the world. And we need to take that seriously. And at the same time, as your life and my life reflects who the Lord is into the world, and Lord willing, we're doing a good job of that, our job is also to stand in the gap for the world to God in prayer. That's what you call intercession, where you would bring the needs of people, the people around you, and you would come to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, you know the situation that so-and-so is going through, and Lord, you know they don't know you, but I ask that you would bless them and you would fix it, and you would help them to see that you are real and that you are doing a work through this situation, and I ask that you would heal them and you would bless them. That's called intercessory prayer, and we need to do it because people need to know that Jesus is real, and they need to experience the presence of God. And one of the ways that people begin to experience the presence of God is when we pray for them. We say, look, I've been praying for you. I'm like, I have people sometimes that say to me, they're like, have you been praying for me? And if I have, I say, yes. If I have, I'd be like, sorry, no. I don't want to be a liar, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've been praying for you. You notice that, you know? But it's like you pray. Because when people know that you're praying for them, then they're expecting God, they're expecting to see God do something. And when God starts to do something, then all of a sudden they're like, wow. Maybe Jesus is real. And so Moses has this mediatorial function. It's a picture of Jesus, and it's also something that you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to represent the Lord to the world, and we're supposed to represent the world to the Lord in prayer by asking God's grace and forgiveness, asking him to reveal Jesus in the people that we know who don't yet know the Lord and all these different things. So all that's the setup. And then it says, he said at the end of verse five, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So this begins this big 10 refresh where now we get, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first commandment that the Lord is God, your reference back in the book of Exodus is Exodus chapter 20, verses two and three. I am the Lord your God. Now, I always make this point, but I'm gonna do it again because it's important. I want you to notice the words, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English translation, right? That means God's personal name. People would say today it was, it's the name Yahweh. It's this tetragrammaton. It's his four letters. In the Hebrew, it's Yud, Hey, Vuv, and Hey, Y, W, H, W. Or some of you use V, depending on if you use the old King James Bible, depending on how you get it. You get these four letters. It's God's personal name. It's the way God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. The I am who I am. Some people, and it came down kind of historically that this word we say would be Yahweh today. Historically, it was Jehovah, which what they did is they took the tetragrammaton, the yod and the vuv and they put the vowels for the word Adonai, which is the word master or Lord, and they put that over the yod heh That's how you get Jehovah, right? And so it's God's covenant name. I am the Lord, your God. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel today began to walk through the Ten Commandments. He shared with us the importance of these commandments and what they meant to the Israelite people at that time. He also shared how these commandments still hold value for us today. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel dives into the first of the commandments, loving God. We'll discover what this means in practical life and why it needs to be the ultimate focus of our lives. God needs to always be our first priority. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series, Refresh. Until then, may God bless you.